Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. What's going on, everyone? Welcome into the newest episode of this Going Long podcast. I'm your host, Zach Neal. Good win for the Oregon Ducks over the weekend, 38-24 to victory over Washington State Cougars. Uh, it is, you know, on the scoreboard, looks a little bit closer than it actually was. Washington State scored a touchdown with, I think, 52 seconds left in the game to, uh, you know, cut it from a 38-16 to to make a 38-24. Um, they actually covered the spread um, first time all season that Oregon has failed to cover a spread. So um, I know some people out there were a little bit frustrated by that. I may or may not have been one of them. So um, there's a lot of good stuff on tap today. We're going to go through some of our biggest takeaways I'm also going to throw in, I don't know if I want to call it a new segment, but um, we're just going to talk about some things that happen elsewhere in the Pac-12. I think that that's kind of something that we've, that I have personally, you know, overlooked so far this season, but this is such a, um, such a good season in the Pac-12. I know I've talked about it a little bit, but um, I think we just need to make a point after every, you know, after every game day podcast, every weekend to really look at the rest of the Pac-12 and just see what some of the other teams, um, you know, what they were able to do on Saturday because we're getting into, you know, we're really getting into the thick of it here. We're going into week nine. Um, This conference championship race is getting tight. Um, You know, you still have a number of teams in the top 25, a lot of teams jockeying for positions. So we're going to get into that after some of the takeaways from the game. Uh, A lot of really good stuff. Thank you for tuning in. Let's get into it. Like I said up top, this was a uh, this was an impressive game for Oregon. I think that um, you know I say impressive. It was a a really solid victory. I don't know if this was this. I I know this was not their most impressive game of the year. I know that they've looked better than they did on Saturday. Um, they they probably walk away from this game thinking they could have played a lot better, a lot of things to improve on. Um, for starters, though, I want to talk about Bucky Irving. This was arguably. Oof, one of the most impressive games that he's had in an Oregon uniform. Um, He was just absolutely everywhere. He finished with 180 total yards, um, three touchdowns between uh, two rushing touchdowns, one receiving touchdown. Um, This was a really good, it feels weird to call it a coming out party because if, if you don't know who Bucky Irving is at this point, then you really haven't been paying attention. Um, I think, you know, uh, most Pac-12 fans are very well aware who he is. And I think for the most part, a lot of at least knowledgeable college football fans really knew who he was. But um, he, on a national stage, you know, ABC telecast, 12.30 p.m. kick, um, he really took advantage of the opportunity. And I think that he had one of his best games as a duck. And he, you saw this on Twitter, he really started to turn the heads of some NFL scouts um, there are several NFL scouts that I follow on Twitter, and they're saying, hey, this guy, he can really be something in the NFL, which is, you know, that's not something I've ever, you know, I've considered it. I haven't really looked deeply into it like we do with Bo Nix, like we do with Troy Franklin. Um, I want to talk to, I'm going to try and do that this week and talk to some people who are 
much smarter than me uh, at you know the the draft level, the NFL level, just from a football sense, and just see how they think his skills translate. Because you know he's still a small guy, but his his skill set is so unique, and he's got such good running balance, um, such good contact balance. Um, his elusiveness, his speed, his physicality, no one can bring him down on the first touch. Um, it's just, this was a really cool, really cool game for him. And what was even cooler is that after the game, Dan Lanning was asked about Irving and he, he really talked about how amazing of a person Bucky is rather than just a player. I mean, we always focus on the the player, but Lanning really talked about, you know, he's, he's such an incredible person. And I think Lanning said that, you know, when, when his three sons grow up, he wants them to be like Bucky because this guy is just, he, there's no one on the team that cares more than, than Bucky does. No one that wants them to win more than Bucky does. Um, Bill Oram, uh, a columnist for the Oregonian, wrote a piece about this yesterday, about Irving and his his tough upbringing and how he got to where he is today and just kind of the person that he is. I encourage you all to go to the Oregonian to read that because it's a really good piece. But in general, just a, a really impressive day from Irving. Um, also an impressive day from Jordan James, too. This He had 103 yards um, and I think a touchdown. I've got the stats right here. Let me see. No no touchdowns for Jordan. 13 uh, rushes, 103 yards, no touchdowns. Um, still, this was, I think, the first game since Washington last year that Oregon's had two 100-yard rushers. They had Irving and, and Noah Whittington do it last year. So all in all, really good game from Bucky, really good game from Jordan, really great showing from the offensive line in the rushing attack. Um, they knew that Washington State couldn't couldn't really stop the run very well, and they they attacked it. Another individual player that I really want to highlight is linebacker Justin Jacobs. He finally made his Oregon debut, and God, it was it was fun to watch. Um, I don't think it was the best game we'll see him play. I think he's definitely got another level or two to go up, but this was the first game he played, and I think it was about 400 days. Um, he got injured last year at Iowa, hurt his knee, Sat out the whole year with a, I believe he went underwent knee surgery, and then sat out spring ball, um, practiced during the summer, but like has he didn't play any games this year until until yesterday. So, just a, a really impressive debut from Justin. He finished with six tackles, one sack, one tackle for loss. A uh, really physical player. It's it's unique to see him. Just the combination of size and speed he has. I mean, he's he's a six foot four, two hundred and forty five pound linebacker. Which, compared to the other linebackers, compared to Jeff Bossa, Jamal Hill, uh, Devin Jackson, he's you know he's much bigger than them. And that's not saying anything against those guys. They're um, you know they're well built linebackers too. They're they're strong. They're shifty. But um, you know, Justin just brings a different type of size to that linebacker room. And you see it with the physicality too. I mean, I posted this on my Twitter earlier today. There's this sequence in the, I think it was in the third quarter where, um, on a second and eight cam Ward, Washington state's quarterback gets out, scrambles to the left, tries to run for a first down and Jacobs just blows him up out of bounds, two yards short of the first down on the very next play. They try a running play um, up the middle on the left side and Jacobs just fits the run perfectly. And he stuffs him in the hole for a loss. Um, it's stuff like that, that, you know, Oregon's linebacker play has been better this year than we saw it last year. It's, it's getting better, but 
then you see someone like Justin play, and it's like, okay, yeah, I I completely understand why Dan Lanning went to the transfer portal and got him from Iowa and really wanted to plug him into his defense because this guy can absolutely play. Um, I I know that he can get better. Dan Lanning said after the game that he um, he knows there's things he can improve on. Um, there's still room for him to grow, but you know, based on what we've seen with his physicality. Uh, all of the players, the coaches say that he's one of the fastest guys on the team, despite being as big as he is. Um, it's impressive. He's going to be able to stop runs. He's going to be able to get out and cover in space. Uh, he's, I, I really think his ceiling is one of, if not the best player on Oregon's defense. Um, and that's saying something when you've got someone like Evan Williams, who had a, a incredible day yesterday. I think he had 14 tackles led the team. Uh, when you've got Brandon Dorless, when you've got Jordan Birch, you've got these really incredibly talented blue chip players on this defense. I think the ceilings for Justin is he can be as good as, if not better than all of them. Um, he can really be the rock in the middle of this defense. And that's going to be incredibly important when you go up this week against Utah, um, a very physical running team uh, later in the year, when you go up against Oregon state, a very physical running team, you're going to need someone like Justin to be able to step in those, um, you know, those A gaps, B gaps, C gaps, and stop the run. Um, you know, it's it's going to be really encouraging to see him going forward as long as he can stay healthy and, and continue this level of play. But um, I think that Oregon got a really, really good player here, and I can't wait to see him keep going. Another player that I really want to highlight is Tez Johnson. I think he had a – I think this was – one of the best games he's had in Oregon in an Oregon uniform. I don't know that I'd say it was the best um, definitively, but it was definitely up there. He led all receivers um, on the Ducks with 97 yards and a touchdown. Um, you know, he had, I think it was, he had at least one 40 plus yard. I think it was a 46 yard reception. Um, one really impressive uh, over the shoulder fade touchdown catch from um, Bo Nix on a, I believe it was a third and goal from the 17. So it was a, a play that Oregon really needed to have in the second half. Um, just all in all, really, really strong showing from Tez. Um, I know that I talked, I think it was last week, a couple of weeks ago, that we're trying to, we're, we're really wanting to see more of Tez and more of his elusiveness and, um, you know, his ability to just make plays in space. And I think we really saw that. Um, and we saw an effort for that to, you know, him to be put in that position on Saturday against Washington state. So um, it was a, a good showing from Tez. It was a quiet second half from Troy Franklin. Um, I don't have his first half stats in front of me, but he finished the day with uh, only four catches for 79 yards. I'm pretty sure. Um, actually, you know what? Let me look that up real quick. I just want to get this number correct. Yeah. So in the first half, Troy had three catches for 61 yards. Um, so he really did most of his damage in the first uh, two quarters was really quiet. Only one catch after the half. Uh, I'm not sure I I would like to, you know, talk to coaches and players, ask Lanning maybe what they did, what they saw from uh, Washington State in the second half that maybe shut Troy down a little bit. Or if it was a, um, you know, a schematic decision to to go to Tez more in the second half. I'm not really sure what that was, but. Regardless, I think it's very encouraging for Oregon fans that you know that you have this wide receiver two in Tez, who is as dynamic as he is and is capable of breaking off these big plays. He doesn't quite offer the deep play ability, the deep ball ability that Troy Franklin does, but you know when you consider what he can do in space and what he can do when he gets the ball, 
um, you know, that 46 yarder yesterday, he got the ball. I think it was probably just a 10 yard route or something, just a, a comeback. I forget exactly what it was, but he quickly just changed direction right away, made a couple defenders miss and he was just gone. Um, and they, they brought him down near the goal line. So, um, just a really impressive player and impressive performance from him. One strange thing in the wide receiver room. And I, I don't know if it's strange. Um, I guess I could call it strange, but this is kind of starting to be a trend that we've seen. This was another no show game from Gary Bryant, which was, you know, it's at this point in the season, we've got enough of a sample size that I'm just, I'm kind of shocked at how little they use him. Sorry, you can hear me me flipping through the stat sheet right here. I just wanted to pull up his stats. Uh, Gary Bryant had zero targets in the passing game. He had one rush for 15 yards. I think that was on the – was that the second play of the game? They got him on an end around. Um, it was early in the game that I think they went to him. Yeah, the second play of the game, uh, they, they went a reverse to, to Bryant. They went for 15 yards. It was a great play then we didn't see anything from him for the rest of the game. He didn't touch the ball again for the rest of the game. So, uh, you know, in the the grand scheme of things, it I don't think it matters a ton because this offense is still obviously clicking without him and still very good. Um, but it's just, I'm, I'm curious to see how that continues going forward because this was a, a highly rated transfer portal piece. And this was a highly rated recruit coming out of high school when he went to USC um, he's a really talented player and someone that can help this offense. Um, you know, there's there's a lot of mouths to feed. You've got Treshawn Holton, you got Terrence Ferguson, um, I mean on top of Tez Johnson and Troy Franklin. You got Bucky Irving, who did a ton in the passing game with the screen game yesterday. Um, I'm just I'm curious to see what the role continues to be for Gary Bryant because so far it's been been very slim. One thing that I want to touch on is I I know we talked about this a bit last week. I wrote about it in my takeaways column uh, last week and again this week. I am still, you know, there's still some hang up on the play calling here. Um, you know, that's it's really hard when you go to nitpick this offense because, yes, they are so explosive and so good. And they did put up 540 yards of total offense yesterday and score 38 points. So, you know, to criticize this offense, it it feels wrong because they are one of the best offenses of the nation. I'm still just there's there's been times week after week where you get a little bit frustrated by the play calling and think that there's still um, improvements that can be made. And I know I talked last week that Will Stein is a, a young offensive coordinator. He's learning on the job. He's learning in the limelight, um, learning on a on a national stage when everyone can nitpick. I understand that. I still think he's doing a very good job of, um, you know, of running this offense and getting them in the right spots. But there are still just times that I, I just get frustrated by some of the play calls that he's calling, um, particularly in the red zone, too. I think that, you know, Oregon had um, they they had to, they had their first drive of the game stalled out. They went to a field goal to Camden Lewis, which is 47 yarder. Camden missed. Um, that was a you know side tangent real quick. Another tough game for Camden Lewis, which was pretty unfortunate because um, you know he had a, a rough week last week, missing that potential game tying one that would have sent them to overtime against Washington. Um, and then I feel like they kind of they went to him for this field goal early to try and get him some confidence and build that back up. 
that's a long field goal for a, a confidence booster, 47 yarder. That's only two yards short of his career long of 49. He tugged it a little bit left and missed. So, um, you know, I, I, I just worry about his confidence right now. I think that they really need to make a point going forward in the next couple of games to try and get him more field goals and try and get him more opportunities to build that confidence back up. Because at some point we don't know when, but at some point this year, you're going to need Camden Lewis um, to step up in one of these big moments. And you just want him to have as much confidence as he can at that point. Uh, Back to Will Stein though. There was just some of these drives just stalled. Uh, you know, once they got into goal to goal situations, uh, they settled for two field goals um, in the red zone yesterday. They missed one of them. There was a, a strange sequence. So the offense looked a little bit lackluster in the first half, but then they they started to run the ball and realized that they had, you know, incredible success running the ball. On their final two possessions of the first half, they had 12 carries for 129 yards and two touchdowns and looked to be rolling. You know, it was Oregon's offense. They were just running it down. Washington State's throat had no, you know, no resistance in the running game. Then Oregon gets the ball out of the second half and they run five straight pass plays and go, uh, you know, they convert a first down and then go three and out and they have to punt. Um, it's like we just saw how elite this running game was and the Washington State couldn't stop it. Why are we passing five straight times? Why is Bucky Irving not getting a single touch on that drive? In the end, it didn't end up mattering because, you know, Oregon was good enough to win this game without their A game. But, um, you know, I think if you're if you're an Oregon fan, I think you're justified in being a little bit frustrated. But if you want to look on the bright side of things, I'm an optimist. I've always been an optimist. I think that you can feel that there's another level for this offense to go up um, because there is there is room to grow and play calling in the red zone, play calling in general. Um, I think this team's still kind of learning what they are on the offensive side of the ball, which sounds insane when you're talking about one of the best offenses in the nation. Uh, but that's that's just kind of what my overall feel is after this game. In general, I think there's um, you know there's a lot to improve after this game. I think that penalties were once again an issue, frustratingly so. It was a pretty tough day for right tackle of Johnny Cornelius. I think he had four total penalties called on him. Two of Oregon's, I think they they had seven penalties for 45 yards in the entire game. Two of those penalties called back touchdowns directly. So. Um, Dan said that after the game that, you know, that's really something they've got to clean up because some of those penalties absolutely hurt them. Others got them far behind the sticks, um, led to stalled drives and and having to punt. Um, in general, it feels like Oregon played their, you know, B minus game, C plus game. I think B minus because they did run the ball. Well, um, Bo Nix did have a good game. He was accurate. I think he got himself back to that Heisman conversation back into the top, Top three, four, five in the mix. Um, you know, we can talk about Cam Ward or um, we can talk about Michael Penix. We can talk about Caleb Williams. You know, they both had pretty, pretty tough days. Um, but just looking forward, I think that Oregon, they're going to need to be much, much better and much cleaner next week against Utah because uh, this, you know, it's. We're in the stretch of the season now where every week seems like a big game. Last week against Washington, probably one of the games of the year. Um, This last week against Washington State, not as big of a game, still one that you had to pay attention to. This game against Utah is going to feel a lot like last week's game against Washington. This is a 
Um, you know, not quite top 10. It's going to be number eight, Oregon versus number 13, Utah. Uh, college game day is going to Utah for this game, going to Salt Lake City. Uh, it'll be Oregon's 30th time ever on college game day where they're 17 and 12 when game day is there. Um, this is going to be a, a big game. There's going to be a lot of fanfare, a lot of hype. Um, just to be honest, this one it feels a little a little scary for an Oregon fan. You've got uh, a lot of bad memories when it comes to Utah and a lot of nerves when it comes to playing Utah, especially down in Salt Lake City, especially down in Rice Eccles Stadium. Um, now you're there with game day, all of the hype around that. You got Halloween weekend um, in a place that Oregon's lost their last two games, both in a frustrating fashion. Um, you know, the line came out Oregon minus five and a half to open. I don't know. That's tough. I mean, this is this is a game where on paper the Ducks should be able to put this one away. You know, Utah has a, a pretty good defense. They're really solid on that side of the ball. Their offense up until the past couple of weeks has really been terrible. I mean, they're a team that was I don't have their their season long stats right in front of me, but they were averaging, you know, I want to say around 14 to 17 points per game, um, maybe 20 at the most. But um they they announced yesterday that quarterback Cam Rising is out for the year. He hasn't played yet this year, but they were waiting for him to come back from the ACL injury in the Rose Bowl. Uh, wide receiver Brant Keithy is out for the year. He also had not played this year, but they just ruled him out for the rest. The last linebacker, Lander Burton, um, in yesterday's game, he's out for the year. He was one of the team's leading tacklers. Um, you know, despite all of this terrible, terrible injury luck that they've had all year, Utah's still finding a way to get it done. Um, they're still six and one. They've got arguably the best coach in the nation with Kyle Whittingham. Um, Bryson Barnes, a former walk-on quarterback, is really doing a good job. They turned safety Sion Vaki um, into a running back, and he's played incredibly well over the past two or three weeks. Um, you know, they Utah figured out. I I think I buried the lead, but Utah won the their third straight game over USC on Saturday. They beat USC on a walk-off field goal. It was 34 to 32 was the final score. Um, you know, it's that's kind of hard to judge how good they are, though, after that. I think they're a, a solid team, but it's hard to judge how elite they are after that because it's becoming pretty clear that USC might just not be a very good team. I mean, we knew that USC's defense really, really was bad. Uh, we knew that Caleb Williams was elite, but the rest of the offense is mediocre at best i feel which was not the expectation going into the season so um yes utah got that win i'm still just you know i i think pretty highly of them but i don't know if i should feel they're as elite as they could be just because they beat usc if that makes any sense all right let's get into our um our elsewhere in the pac-12 i already mentioned utah over usc um just to focus more on the usc side of things this looks to be, you know, it's going downhill quickly in Los Angeles. Things are starting to crumble. Um, there is a ton of off-field drama. Um, you know, Lincoln Riley has made several comments. If you watched earlier in the season, Lincoln Riley was, um, he banned a certain reporter from covering the team because he didn't like the way he was covering it. Um, there's just a ton of off-field stuff going on. And people are turning, you know, the national media and, you know, just, the college football world as a whole has started to turn on Lincoln Riley a little bit. Um, you know, some of the the shine that was there when he went to Los Angeles is definitely quickly coming off. 
Um, after this game yesterday, he made no players available for interview after the game, which in the world of college football is a, you know, a direct shot at media members because that's, that's our biggest job is, you know, we do this job to have access to the players and be able to talk to them and get the story afterwards. And um, if you just deny writers that ability and deny that access, it's just the number one way to make enemies and just to kind of draw negative attention and unneeded attention to your program. So the fact that Lincoln Riley made no players available after the game, really a pretty bad look and he's getting, um, you know, a lot of shame in the national media today because of that. Um, you know, when the players do talk during the week, um, things have been a little bit chippy. There was an interview with Caleb Williams last week where he was talking about, you know, we're not worried or anything coming off that Notre Dame loss. And he's just, you know, they're to sum it all up. Things just are not going well. Um, if you've been watching it as an Oregon fan, I think it's probably a little bit entertaining as a, a Pac-12 fan. I think you're, I think probably just as a college football fan, you're, you're likely enjoying this unless you're a USC fan, because you know most people tend to dislike USC. Um, so it's you know from a, a grand scheme of things, I think this has been an entertaining subplot of the college football season. The fact that USC is now ranked 24th in the nation when they were one of the preseason picks to win the college football playoff. Um, it's been a, an interesting develop in the Pac-12 this season. Elsewhere in the Pac-12, uh, the Washington Huskies almost lost to the Arizona State Sun Devils, which is, you know, arguably one of the worst teams in the Pac-12. We had them ranked at, at number 12 in our Pac-12 power rankings last week. Uh, Washington failed to score an offensive touchdown in a 15 to seven win over the Sun Devils. Uh, it was Pac-12 after dark up in Seattle. That game didn't kick till 7.30, which is just absolute insanity that any game would kick that late. Um, I don't think it got over until like 11.30, 11.45. Um, but yeah, it was it was raining. There was bad weather up in Seattle. And, you know, Michael Penix looked terrible. I think he threw for, oh, it was around 260 yards um, and no touchdowns, two interceptions on 64% completion percentage. Just a really, really un Penix like game, un Heisman like game. I mean, he's the the heavy favorite in the Heisman category and the Heisman race um, going into this week. I'm I'll be interested to see how that changes this week after this performance. But um, you know, it was a an impressive game for Arizona State. They kind of threw it away at the end. They were leading what was it seven to six in the fourth quarter. They had a fourth and three near the goal line um, in in the fourth quarter, and they threw a pick six instead of taking the field goal, which is, I know, for all all Oregon fans watching this game, and it's all even just college football fans watching this game, it's like, come on. Did you really not learn anything from Oregon last week that if you're in fourth and three situation near the goal line up in Seattle, take the points. Take the points. It's going to help you in the end. Instead, um, you know, ASU gives Washington their only touchdown of the game, a defensive touchdown, um, you know, and, and Washington comes out with the win. So they're all of this to say they're still undefeated. They're still 7-0, and um, you know, still ranked number five in the nation. I moved them out of my top spot in the Pac-12 power rankings. Um, I put Oregon up to the top spot because I think Washington, they looked bad enough to not deserve that number one spot anymore. And it's been funny to see Washington fans uh, disagree with me, to to put it lightly, 
on Twitter today after seeing that. But, um, you know, in the end, the, the quote is that great teams win their bad games and great teams win when they don't have their best game. Sure. That's, that's absolutely true. I mean, it's, um, any championship team has had bad games and games where they don't show up. And it's understandable that Washington after that, um, you know, emotional win over Oregon a week ago, it's understandable that they have a bit of a hangover coming into this game, but, uh, to look that bad against a, a one in five team at home, um, with the Heisman Heisman leading quarterback, one of the best offenses in the nation to be unable to score an offensive touchdown. Uh, that's definitely not a great look. Going down south, I want to uh, I want to touch on UCLA real quick. Um, they they blew out Stanford as they're supposed to. I think they won forty two seven. It was not an enter- entertaining game. What was entertaining though was that Chip Kelly benched true freshman quarterback Dante Moore before the game and started Ethan Garbers instead. Uh, Garbers went on to have a, an awesome game and, like I said, blow out Stanford. Um, it's just interesting. I, I don't know. Is it something to keep an eye on? Um, Dante Moore went to UCLA to get playing time and to start as a freshman. He's now getting benched for um, another another player who was a backup last year, I believe. I forget. I'm sorry. I don't know the history of Ethan Garber's off the top of my head. Um, but anyway, it's, this is not the... Uh, I don't think this is what Dante Moore was expecting. I know that he's been solid this year, but had a lot of freshman mistakes. Um, I think that he still has an elite upside and a, a great future ahead of him. I'm just, is that future going to be at UCLA? I don't know. I'm just asking. Just, just, I'm not saying anything, not implying anything. Just, you know, a year from now, Bo Nix will be gone. Ty Thompson will be the leading candidate to take over as the starting quarterback in Oregon. I don't know. Dante Moore was once committed to Oregon. He decommitted and went to went to UCLA instead. I don't know. I don't know. I'm just just asking questions, just throwing it out there, something to keep an eye on. Going forward in Week Nine, this is not a it's not a super pivotal week in the Pac-12 coming up. Um, you know, you've got the Oregon Utah game. I covered that extensively. We'll cover that more going forward. That's going to be one of the biggest games of the year, um, undoubtedly the biggest game of the week in college football. Um, in week nine, obviously with game day going there and all the hype surrounding that. Um, you also have Oregon State against Arizona. Both teams coming off a bye. That game will be down in the desert. Um, I believe that's a, I think it's a 730 kick again, which I'm sorry to Arizona and Oregon State fans. And I'm also sorry to me who will undoubtedly stay up all night watching that and writing about that once it, once it comes to a close. But uh, that should be an entertaining matchup that will likely tell us a lot about both teams. I mean, Oregon State is ranked 11th in the nation right now. Arizona is unranked, but they've uh, they really put Washington to the test. I think it was three weeks ago they put USC to the test. A couple weeks ago, um, they beat Washington State 44 to six right before their bye. So this is a team that's um, you know they're a, a solid Pac-12 team and they're capable of beating anyone in the conference, I believe. So. Um, I'm I'm excited to see them go up against Oregon State because I think Oregon State's a good team, but if you're a good team in the Pac-12, you need to beat these middling middling Pac-12 teams, especially on the road. And uh, I think any Oregon fan knows that playing in the desert is no easy feat. So, um, or winning in the desert is no easy feat, I should say. Um, but you know those that 
Oregon State and Arizona um, game, and then Oregon versus Utah. Those are the really only two notable, entertaining, interesting games in the Pac-12 this week. Otherwise, we need to wait until Week Ten when we get USC versus Washington um, for the next, you know, great hype-ridden Pac-12 game that doesn't involve Oregon. All right, that's going to do it for us today. Um, thank you for listening and following along. I will be back later this week. Um, I think we'll probably keep this Wednesday schedule. Also, just a scheduling note. Um, you know, I I'm still playing around with how I want to do these post game pods as far as scheduling goes. Um, for a couple of weeks, I definitely I recorded late at night. I think I recorded um, probably around eleven thirty or midnight by the time I got done writing. I am recording this one. It's almost it's late morning on Sunday. So I'll get this one out soon. It'll be early afternoon on Sunday. Um, I think this works better for my schedule. I know that you guys, I don't know how many of you guys wake up on Sunday morning and listen to this podcast. If you do, um, and it's not there for you, I apologize. But, um, you know, by the time I get done writing and it's 1130 midnight, I am usually too tired to podcast. So, um, I think this will be the schedule, probably a, a Sunday morning, Sunday afternoon podcast to recap the game. And then a Wednesday podcast to preview the next game is probably what I'll do going forward. If you want to check out more of my work, uh, more, our, more of our coverage of the Washington state game, more of our previews for the Utah game, you can find it all at duckswire.usatoday.com. Follow me at Zachary C. Neal on Twitter. We'll talk to you guys later this week. Until then, take it easy. <laughs>